I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. With Boyd Matheson. It's been a busy day for President Joe Biden. He announced early this morning that the leader of ISIS was killed during a U.S. special forces raid on his compound in Syria. Uh, He then traveled to New York and spoke uh, about increasing gun violence in the country, policing, uh, and some of the answers there. So I want to go to to both of these uh, to give the president a chance to lay that out. And then we want to take a look at what does that mean and what comes next uh, as a result of what the president has shared today on these two crucial issues. Uh, the president gave uh, details on the mission uh, to kill the leader of ISIS, uh, Abdullah, uh, and how the decision was actually made. This is interesting. And thanks to the bravery of our troops, this horrible terrorist leader is no more. Our forces carried out the operation with their signature preparation and precision. And I directed the Department of Defense to take every precaution possible to minimize civilian casualties. Knowing that this terrorist had chosen to surround himself with families, including children, we made a choice to pursue a special forces raid at a much greater risk than our, to our own people, rather than targeting him with an airstrike. We made this choice to minimize civilian casualties. Our team is still compiling the report, but we do know that as our troops approach to capture the terrorist in a final act of desperate cowardness, he, with no regard to the lives of his own family or others in the building, he chose to blow himself up, not just to the vest, but to blow up that third floor rather than face justice for the crimes he has committed, taking several members of his family with him just as his predecessor did. That leads to an interesting conversation about those special forces. Uh, so we've seen this, as the president noted, we've seen this uh, with a number of ISIS leaders uh, that rather than be taken, uh, they will blow themselves up. Uh, and so that, of course, puts our forces in harm's way in a different way. Uh, and so you, that is an interesting debate in terms of uh, you know uh, an airstrike versus a special operations uh, invasion there. And, and those are high stakes, really challenging decisions, I think, that you have to make. And I thought it was interesting that the, that the president approached it that way, that, yeah, we did go with this because we were trying to minimize civilian cam- casualties or family casualties. And, and so that's an interesting thing. And I think that's going to be one that they have to grapple with moving forward. Uh, president Biden also committed to continuing working with allies to fight terrorism around the world. I'm determined to protect the American people from terrorist threats. And I'll take decisive action to protect this country. And we'll continue working with our close allies and partners, the Syrian Democratic Forces, the Iraqi Security Forces, including the Kurdish Peshmerga 
and more than 80 members of the global coalition to keep pressure on ISIS to protect our homeland. So keeping that precious uh, pressure on ISIS, I think, is uh, something that everyone understands has to be done, uh, because if you just let them uh, kind of go underground for a little bit, they will reconstitute themselves, they will reorganize, uh, and then they will emerge again. And that's also going to be something that I think everyone has to watch very closely, uh, that just by taking out the, the head of ISIS uh, does not mean it is slowed down or stopped in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there's usually someone ready to, to step up to next. Abdullah was much more a behind-the-scenes operator, uh, was not a real rhetorical leader for ISIS. So who comes next? What kind of leader are they? And what and how do they try to assert their power and their authority? Is it in a strike or is it in going underground uh, a little bit more and and reorganizing and, and coming up with a new strategy? Uh, that will be interesting to watch as well. But it's clear from the president, and I think it's clear from everyone around the world, that we recognize that ISIS is still a threat, uh, that we have to continue to protect the homeland, and that we have to have partners around the world to do that. Those are all really important. President Biden concluded his message this morning uh, with a very specific message for the terrorists. We remain vigilant. We remain prepared. Last night's operation took a major terrorist leader off the battlefield and has sent a strong message to terrorists around the world. We will come after you and find you. So strong words at the conclusion there from President Biden. And we'll continue to monitor all of this as more details uh, emerge from uh, that uh, mission that took place and was reported this morning. And that's going to be a, a critical one. It's it's not one that the president had on, on his agenda, I'm sure, rolling in uh, to, to the month of February. And and here he is. And that's what happens to presidents of both parties. Uh, you end up with all kinds of things that are not on your agenda or on your schedule that demand attention. And that's one of those. The president also visited today. He left immediately following his press conference uh, on the attack uh, and went to New York City. Uh, he spoke at the NYPD headquarters today where he got into some of the things in terms of uh, the violence that had been taking place. Uh, gun violence in particular, uh, and his feeling around the rhetoric of defund the police. Mayor Adams, you and I agree. The answer is not to abandon our streets. That's not the answer. The answer is to come together, the police and communities, building trust and making us all safer. The answer is not to defund the police. It's to give you the tools, the training, the funding to be partners, to be protectors, and community need you and know the community. So the president laid out uh, some things that he was going to spend and invest in, in terms of tools and training, funding uh, for police and keeping them in their community. And it was interesting to go through that list, uh, about a half a billion uh, in expenditures from the federal level to to get to uh, those at the local level. And the president emphasized a number of times throughout uh, his remarks that it that defund the police was just a wrong attitude and a wrong policy strategy. Uh, And he talked about increasing the funding and he talked about specific funding. He talked about uh, having more social workers, having more mental health workers, Uh, talked about programs uh, for those in the prison system and for those coming out of the prison system. And so he, he talked about a lot of those things in terms of here's how we solve the problem of violence and gun violence in particular. 
And I want to come back to that in a minute, but let's uh, conclude with some of the uh, president's uh, expressions of support for services for former prison inmates uh, trying to re-enter society. When someone finishes their time in prison, all our experience tells us you just can't continue to give them 25 bucks and a bus ticket. They'll end up under the same bridge you arrested them in the first place from. And so I don't want, I don't want them ending up back in prison or being there because they've committed another crime. We need to be able to train for and get a job, find stable housing, re-enter society and have a second chance at a better life. My Department of Labor is funding programs to help formerly incarcerated individuals, including young adults, receive the education and training they need and then connect them to quality jobs. So as we listen to the president today uh, talk about violence on the street, gun violence in particular, especially uh, targeted at police officers, the, the one thing that seemed to be lacking, he talked about all of this spending that was going to happen, all the money that was going to go into different programs for more social workers, more mental health experts, more housing options uh, for those on the street, more addiction recovery programs, and and went through a, quite a, a long list, uh, including some of these things he just mentioned in terms of the, the backside of that, those coming out of being incarcerated or in the criminal justice system, how you get them uh, back as contributing members of society. And the one thing that seemed to be lacking uh, to me, all of this sounded kind of like uh, parking the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff uh, instead of building a fence up at the top. Uh, he didn't say anything about uh, about education and helping uh, kids stay in school and get that education and work experience. He didn't mention anything about households and family units uh, and support structure uh, and the things that we know make a difference. Uh, in keeping somebody in school, on path, out of trouble, uh, and, and out of uh, you know drug addiction and gang violence and all of those kinds of things, uh, you, you have to have you can have all of those pieces. And I wish the president had mentioned that in his uh, laundry list of things that he was going to fund. Uh, we also need to make sure we're doing the things that are strengthening home and community, uh, because we know building a fence at the top of the cliff is way more effective than just parking an army of ambulances down at the bottom. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, my conversation with Britton Covey, University of Utah football great, getting ready for the NFL. A lot of interesting principles to talk about with Britton Covey coming up next. Stay with us. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 